East Coasters are naturally entertainers. They're storytellers. It's just a fun place to be. So I think growing up, I was always like a little bit of an entertainer. I worked in the hospitality industry. I wanted to pursue ideas that allowed me to never really feel like I was like strapped down to work. This is Alex. He first became an entrepreneur because he was looking for a mountain to climb, like literally. I wanted to go skiing, right? I grew up in Prince Edward Island, like there's really no mountains there, right? There's a tiny little hill. I think it, in hindsight, it's like 270 feet, right? But it was a fantastic place to learn. Like I would want to go there as much as I could when I was a kid. So when I got into high school, I was like, I want to go to these other places. So like I start organizing bus trips just for the day. Like we'd go to Nova Scotia, we'd go to New Brunswick. And it really, for me, it served a purpose of like, what do I have to do for me to get there? Well, I just get all these other people to come and then I even make some money along the way. Today, Alex is still helping his fellow East Coasters have fun. And he's hoping that soon he'll be able to invite the whole country to the party. This is Earning Curve a podcast about business in Canada from Interact and Gimlet Creative. I'm Michelle Romano. No one builds a business on their own. On each episode of this show, we're meeting entrepreneurs like Alex and listening in on their conversations with founders who have struck business gold. Today, we're talking about leadership and swagger on the rocky coast of Nova Scotia. It's the home of lobster fishermen, surging tides, and trend-setting entrepreneurs. One of the province's most successful native daughters is Mandy Ranahan, the founder of international construction firm Freshco. We'll hear from her later. But first, let's learn more about what Alex Rice decided to build. I grew up with, uh, you know, a number of different kind of entrepreneurs in the family in terms of hardworking small business owners. And, you know, throughout that, I really developed uh, a need to get out and explore and uh, see what was out there. So he took the experience of organizing ski trips to faraway places. And for his next job, he went as far as he could, straight across Canada, to live and work for startups in Vancouver. He ended up staying a decade. And in the meantime, to kind of try and pay the bills, I was doing some consulting in the uh, beverage alcohol business. Uh, So I had developed quite a network in the business and uh, came across an individual from Kelowna You know, one night we were just discussing how the craft spirits industry and the craft beverage industry was really developing in Western Canada and that he had ties to the East Coast as well with his wife being from uh, Nova Scotia. So we were just chatting and kind of saying, you know, we always see that beverage trends, restaurant trends, fashion trends, you know, are really kind of launching in Western Canada. And we wanted to create something that was attainable to kind of the everyday person here, but that was made locally and so offered an alternative to the multinational brands out there. Really, the initial thought process was that we would both get an opportunity to come out to the East Coast at least a few times a year to work with the business part-time. That would offer us the opportunity to visit our family and kind of get home. And it really turned into a lot more than that. So Alex did what every good entrepreneur does. He started Googling. And he found a company in Nova Scotia that happened to be looking for someone to create a local liquor brand for them to sell at bars and restaurants. Alex jumped right in. I I won't lie, like we were kind of coming in uh, to something not knowing, like we didn't have a previous relationship with these individuals. I, you know, looked them up online and cold called them. They were like, 
We're actually really looking to create a private label brand. We're one of the fastest growing distributors out here and we want something that we can offer, you know, our restaurants and bars that we're already dealing with in the wine industry. This all happened within a period of weeks. Create some samples at a facility in BC, flew out to Nova Scotia. We had a meeting and, uh, you know, we shook hands uh, basically at the end of the meeting uh, and had agreed on the first PO. This was before we had a building, before we had employees. Did you catch that? Alex and his partner flew across the country and sold the distributor on a product that he wasn't technically able to even make yet. They just chatted their way in. Very East Coast. Realistically, within two weeks, we were back in Nova Scotia. We put an offer on like a small building and the realtor, she invited us to her house to meet and sign the paperwork over coffee at her uh, her dinner table. And uh, it, it was really, it was awesome. She did a great job of getting us into the market. Honestly, she was shocked that we showed up. Like when we came, she's like, I really wasn't betting that this was actually going to happen. But we showed up and, you know, we went and looked at it and they were super helpful and formative in us uh, meeting people throughout the community. And it was really that kind of cultural fabric that you see in, in rural Nova Scotia and rural communities. So Alex gets a building, he gets an employee, and then he gets to work. Back in the early days, like Evan and I were there hand filling bottles and putting labels on by hand until the middle of the night because we had a deadline to hit because these guys had to pick a date when we're telling our restaurants that they're going to be getting this new, exciting Nova Scotia brand. Uh, so we were kind of under the gun to, uh, to get things out. And what Alex and his team began crafting by hand is now known as the Nova Scotia Spirit Company, a booming distillery that makes rum, gin, vodka for the people of the Atlantic coast. Our flagship brand is Blue Lobster Vodka, which has grown to be one of the leading vodkas in Eastern Canada, specifically in Nova Scotia. I think right now we're like the number two selling vodka in Nova Scotia. And it's really grown and we didn't really know what to expect. We started the business really part-time. When we entered the market, we really saw quite a bit of traction early on because we were offering something that was made locally, regionally here in Nova Scotia that supported a workforce here. And it was one of those things that people could trade in one of the major brands for a local product that had excellent quality behind it, excellent flavor, and uh, wasn't going to break the bank. Like they could trade up a dollar or two to a local option. We've found product market fit. We've grown quickly. And now it's time to continue to gain market share. And the one thing that we kind of heard repeatedly from um, the industry was like, where do, we, where do we come see you guys? Like, We want to be part of it. So uh, now we're really in the process of, of building out a, quite a substantial facility that will also include a brewery, a restaurant, and a retail store. Now, this native East Coaster employs 30 Nova Scotians, even more seasonally. His products are winning international awards, and he's starting to explore a nationwide expansion. But Nova Scotia Beer Company is just getting started. We launched a product recently, which is a... RTD, which is like a ready-to-drink product, which is our Blue Lobster Vodka um, in a soda format with lemon and lime all-natural flavoring. Uh, so it's really been a really grow a, a big growth category, right? We saw this start in other markets. We've launched it here on the East Coast. It's become the fastest growing and number one selling refreshment beverage, cider, or premix cocktail here in Nova Scotia. So the demand for that is like we've had a real hard time keeping up. Like the team has been literally 
working evenings, weekends, 24 hours a day on the weekend. We rented a canning line from someone else that we could only basically access on the weekends. We were canning from Friday until Sunday, 24 hours a day, and then we give it back on Monday. Um, so it only allowed us to make so much, and it got to the point where we couldn't make enough to keep up for the week, basically. At, at that point, I think we were making about 40,000 cans a weekend, which is like, this is literally just a couple weeks ago. As a metric for Alex Company's growth, that's a good one. 40,000 cans of this stuff are being made per week. The adult population of Nova Scotia is only about 500,000. You can do the math. Nova Scotians are thirsty for this stuff. The new brewery and restaurant that Alex mentioned is located in an old building in Stellarton, Nova Scotia. For years, it was a milk dairy. But when it was shuttered a while back, local jobs were lost and the center of the community went dark. Now, Nova Scotia Spirit Company is bringing that space back to life. After the break, Alex sits down with Mandy Renahan. She's the founder of Freshco, a hugely successful construction and maintenance company in the US and Canada. And I'll talk more about building, whether it's a company, a culture, or a community. So I'm Mandy Renahan. I'm the founder and CEO of Freshco Retail Maintenance Incorporated. And we are a full-service, three-division retail maintenance and construction company that services uh, Fortune 500 companies all over the U.S. and Canada. Mandy was born and raised in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, and she got her start thanks to some very East Coast qualities, persistence, personality, and plain speaking. Mandy started her retail maintenance and reconstruction business, Freshco, over 20 years ago. Today, her company works all over the U.S. and Canada for A-list retail brands like Nike, Apple, Gap, and Lululemon. Mandy is a hugely successful woman in a male-dominated, skilled trade industry. Meeting these two was sort of personal for me. I've always felt like an adopted East Coaster. The first business I started was a caviar fishery outside of New Brunswick. I remember driving out there, knowing absolutely nothing about the place, the people, anything. But the East Coast stereotypes exist for a reason. The people are so nice. From the woman in the government who approved our plan, to the fishermen we contacted, to the people that opened the doors of their homes. So I really wanted to know what kind of relationship Mandy and Alex had to the places they grew up, and whether they see themselves as leaders in those places. In Mandy's case, despite her international business, she still comes back to Nova Scotia often, to an old windmill that she rebuilt by hand and now calls home. I'm actually uh, in Yarmouth where all of my property and family are. It's kind of like my vacation home. If you've never seen my windmill, it's world-renowned. And, and you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to go back and I'm going to probably drink something of Alex's and have a lobster dinner and just to cap us off for the day. That couldn't be more <laughs> quintessential East Coast if mm. you tried. <laughs> I'm telling you, that in the fog and we're, we're good to go. Yeah. So tell us about, you know, growing up and what your upbringing was like. You know, in the industry, they call me the blue collar CEO. And, you know, Michelle, a lot of people talk about mentors, you know, a lot in this day and age. And I just, I didn't have one. Yeah. You just did it on your own. Right. It was like, you know what, get outside and get the stink blown off you and you hope that stuff happens. And, and so growing up down here, it was very simple. You know, there was no complexities. 
But I knew that I was very different from a very young age. And I, uh, my first double digit of being 10 was when I was known <laughs> as the fish broker on the street, you know? I love it. Right? And so, you know, my father was a fisherman for 40 years, a lobster fisherman. And he had no idea that, you know, all these bait bags of fish that we used to call kayaks, not the one that you paddle, it was actually a fish that would come from the, the ocean up to uh, the freshwater lake to lay its eggs. You know, I would leave the house at night at 10 o'clock at night, you know, and I'd haul all the guys on the street and I'd say, listen, you want me to be your winger or whatever, you know, you need to show up and I'll give you five bucks out of the, the $25 uh, Kitty. The cut. Yeah, exactly. And so anyway, to make a fat story thin, literally the big catch came when I was 10 and we couldn't get them back on our bikes. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to go tell my father. And I really thought that I was going to, I was going to get the shit kicked out of me. Like I was like, I'm 10, right? And so literally I, I, I said, pop, I'm the, I'm the fish broker. And he stared at me and I'll tell you what, Michelle, he still looks at me the same way today. But now he kind of brags about me because I buy him a new truck every three years. <laughs> but, you know, but but the idea is, is that he just couldn't believe that it was me. But then as time went on, he could see that I was different from everyone else. It shaped me because a lot of parents want to get involved in their child's upbringing. Yeah. And my parents were just so focused on trying to pay the bills that they just allowed me to go off and be the little lunatic that I was. Yeah. And so I found my own way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in being down here, I always describe it as I was always in a dark room, a really dark room, hoping the hell I bounced off a flat wall and not a rigid corner. Right. And so it's so interesting because I think we are in this world where it's like mentors and you need all this. But there was something just in your personality that every time it sounds like you were knocked down, you were just so tough and got back up. Like what... What was that? How did you get that toughness at 10? I mean, I got shoulders that would pound anybody, <laughs> eh? But, you know, a lot of people don't understand the real meaning behind resilience. Yeah. And for me, I look at people and I'm like, if you want real, real fulfillment in your life, in business and your personal life, you know what? You can't take the easy route. And a lot of people do today. And, and so for me, I never had that option, ever. To take that easy route. No, there is no shortcut. you got to take the stairs. There's no shortcuts <laughs> to, you know, to success. I think it is that toughness. And I think maybe it is just the realization that anything worth going after is, is going to be tough and finding that. And so I think, you know, bringing Alex into this, you know, you guys are both, you know, native Nova Scotians who left uh, but have very deep roots. How do you think that has impacted your business today? And, and what have you taken from that kind of Nova Scotia upbringing? You know, I think coming up on the East Coast, originally from Prince Edward Island, now at the business in Nova Scotia, both places on the East Coast, it was an interesting opportunity. We got to meet a lot of interesting people, really see people who were just hardworking, kind of East Coast people just overcoming whatever they had to, like, to kind of survive in some ways. Like, Absolutely. they needed to earn a living, and that was first and foremost. It was like, how do we get the groceries or how do we pay for the school supplies? And having, you know, seen that, you know, I think from an early age, I looked at things differently. Like I looked at every problem with how do I create a solution as opposed to like, you know, as you guys were mentioning, the kind of path of least resistance. So so I think like the East Coast was just an awesome opportunity. At, at some point in, in university, I decided I wanted to go away and explore and see other things. And I think that was 
Now I'm really thankful that after going away for that, you know, 10 or 15 year span, I'm able to come back and invest in Nova Scotia and have this great team of people who are awesome, hardworking people that are just like the people that I grew up with around me. Well, I'm going to add on to that a little bit, you know, my unconventional journey out of this. I I wake up like this. I This personality was, is just something that I've always had. I outgrew the Maritimes, you know, in the industry that I was in, because when I left Yarmouth and I even went to the big, you know, Halifax was the big city for me. It was three hours away. And so that's where, where I started Freshco. And I remember when I used to go into these stores in the city, they'd stare at me and they'd go, you are amazing and you perform and holy shit, you're really nice. And so I sat back and I went, I'm going to be a goddamn millionaire because I'm That's the from Nova the Scotia to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? And so so when you see that catch on, you know, you, you sit back and you look and go, what do I owe to my heritage? And, and much like Alex, I've done very well in my life in the industry that I've been in. And I came back to my hometown and started rebuilding it because, you know, when I left home, my parents, we were poor. And so I built this company based on the love of something other than myself. And, you know, my whole thing was, is that I was going to support myself. I was probably going to find love along the way. And then I was going to help my parents. And that was what I focused on. It's my duty to come back here because this place made me by letting it be who I was. And for all the people that supported me when they had nothing, but they had a lot to give Michelle just by them being them. Yeah. Yeah. And there's that there's that magic in you recognizing that. Is it hard to be taken seriously if you're not from a big city sometime and you're aspiring to build these businesses that are really national in scope? And it kind of sounds like what you're both getting into is this was a strength. This was not a weakness. But I mean, you must have had days where like this is kind of nagging in the back of your mind. Like, how did you deal with that? For me, it wasn't an issue at all. I, I actually thrived. And, you know, and a lot of it too, Michelle, wasn't just based on the fact that I was from Nova Scotia. I just was humble and I was excited and I absolutely had the agility to be able to make something out of myself and them in that moment. And and so don't forget, I was a little Canadian girl, a girl in construction and maintenance dealing with Fortune 500 companies from the United States. It's like, you know, 2% women in the industry, right? <laughs> Right. Oh, I mean, listen, back then I was the 0.11% of the 1%. But it made you stand out. No one forgot you. Well, I think that it wasn't about my sexuality. It wasn't about the fact that I was a woman. It was because I came with a different game and I was all that in a bag of chips. It was really (laughs) just that simple. So you've built this like sprawling empire across Canada and the U.S. You know, you guys work for huge brands, Nike, Apple, Gap, Lululemon, like the list goes on and on. And so as you've achieved that scale, what has changed about Freshco since it first began? And how did you have to adapt or evolve? Well, I think at the end of the day, you know, when you have a very strong belief in principle and a personality like mine, everybody wants you. And so the idea was, is do I need a group of little Mandy's? Well, where the hell am I going to find that? And what I realized was, is that I could continue to be this, but I needed, you know, wingers all around me that really, truly could pick up from what I wasn't good at. And so for me, the way that I scaled was, is that I looked for people that had their own personality, their own ambition, their own impetus behind what they wanted to see for themselves. 
And they really, truly believed in me and patching together, you know, 20 or 30 misfits makes the most amazing blanket ever. Doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's the best. It's the best. It's the so best. Alex, um, Nova Scotia Spears Company recently did some remodeling of its own. Um, why don't you talk about the history of your new distillery building and what's the response been uh, from the community and how you kind of got the community uh, around this? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we we purchased a new building a couple years ago, and we had a plan, like, maybe to use it for some storage. There was a warehouse there. It was a former Scottsburn dairy. So it was a legacy asset here in Nova Scotia that was kind of important to the community. Unfortunately, when the Scottsburn Dairy Company was acquired, the people got laid off. So there's this legacy asset sitting in the middle of Pictou County in Stellarton, right on the main street. And I drove by it a few times, like as we're, as we're growing the business and sales and I kept looking at it and I'm like, you know, it's, it's empty. There's nobody there. And, uh, I said, we gotta, we gotta put some feelers out here and see who owns this thing. And like, you know, once we got inside and saw that we could repurpose a lot of what was there and, uh, and really build something special, you know, retooling the legacy asset, but keeping the manufacturing roots, right? Like it came from, it was a dairy facility and there was a lot of manufacturing that happened there. There was, you know, millions and millions of liters of milk that went out of that facility. So now we've actually been able to rehire a number of the people who work there who have great skill sets. So we've really worked hard to keep the building to its original kind of characteristics that the community knew. And it was a real pillar for the community. Like one really funny part, we had to rezone the property because when we go and meet with the municipality, we're looking at the zoning and I'm like, what's this zone? And they're like, it's zoned the dairy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I bought a jail and it's similar. Let me tell you. Really? Tell me about yeah. the jail. Oh yes, dear. Yeah. When I, uh, when I went back to Yarmouth, the, one of the oldest jails in Nova Scotia was in Yarmouth and, uh, you know, great architectural detail. The majority of it was actually built with with uh, actually Corey Granite, you know, from here. So you can imagine a, a structure coming from my background. I'm like, oh, my God, this 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 thing has been built with Corey Granite. A lot of different masons, you know, that had come over from Scotland and Ireland. I could tell by, you know, a, a lot of the, you know, the, the different um, inlays. And so I just looked and it was just a pillar of the community and it was just falling apart and it was dying. And I'm like, I just need to buy this jail and I need to clean it up until I can figure out what I'm going to do with it. And uh, right at the moment, I'm looking at potentially, um, I shouldn't even be saying this on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> but basically right now, I'm actually looking at potentially giving the jail away to an entrepreneur or a company through an RFP process that absolutely wants to um, restore it to its original value or use everything about it that it's actually flanked through the community as a tie, I want to be able to give somebody else that opportunity. That's amazing. So Alex, alcohol distribution in Canada is notoriously thorny with all the different provincial liquor boards. There's a million rules. There, It's it's actually so complicated and it's a total downfall of our system. Um, maybe you can explain that and, you know, who are you looking to model as, as you grow to your brand? What kind of hurdles are you up against and what's your strategy for tackling these? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, Canada is really 
notoriously kind of prickly, as you say, across the country. Each individual province and territory has their own respective liquor board, some of which do business themselves. Many of the provinces, you know, own their own government crown corp, which is responsible for retailing the liquor. And it is very challenging. And I think that we've been doing our best to navigate it from a retail perspective, especially here in Nova Scotia. The liquor board's been amazing to deal with, and they've really helped us um, and and taught us a lot of best practices that they've used that we're really trying to roll out in other parts of the country um, with other jurisdictions. Some easier, some more challenging, but we're really committed to to taking a shot at becoming a national brand. I mean, Mandy, what's your advice here? Like, I mean, the construction industry wasn't regulated, but certainly like going into all these jurisdictions had its had its enormous challenges. Well, and, and I, I want to bring it right back to the idea that the reality is it doesn't matter where you're from or what you're doing. It's what kind of game are you playing? And really, are you better? But people really buy into a really great story. You know, they want something that's absolutely that moves them. You know, and I think that's always been the inhibitor. And and so for me, I've just looked at as I moved into every province across Canada before the time I was 25 and then into the U.S. where companies like mine never went to the U.S. You know, it, it was it was a dichotomy that, you know, you never ran across. It was always the U.S. companies coming into Canada and taking over my always, contracts. Always. It took me th- it took me three different companies to realize I needed to start in the U.S. and then yeah. expand to Canada. And that yeah. was still terrifying when I did it as a serial entrepreneur well, 10 years right? into my career. But, but he, here's what I'm never going to accept. And maybe, Michelle, over a, a, a bottle of uh, Alex's vodka I keep hearing, and, and it, whether it be TV or whether it be distribution, or they're like, you know, Canada's really risk adverse. And I'm like, well, you don't have to tell me that. But I just, you <laughs> know what, before you bury me, I'm just not going to accept this. You know, we need to be competitive because we've got the hearts, the personality, the talent, the innovation here. But we never get it to market most times because everybody tells you to go to the U.S. And I guess, Michelle, the idea is for me is that I will not accept that there's anybody else out there that can offer them more than I have. Yeah. You know, I think both um, when we look at distilling alcohol and, you know, architecture and carpentry, these are professions that have existed for for thousands of years. And when you look back at that long line of innovations and leaders, and maybe perhaps those that weren't leaders, do you have a vision, both of you, of what you'd like to be remembered for? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think the idea is, is that, you know, Michelle, I can design and build anything. That's easy for me. But what I've really made, you know, my my new trajectory and my new testament is I'm building people. We're not just an amazing retail maintenance and construction company. We're a movement. You know, we're a movement in redefining the collar blue and the perception behind, you know, the big bridge, the big void between the white collar and the blue collar industry. And how they don't talk, how they don't communicate, and how really we're living in a very systemic, you know, part of the the world right now that that the skilled trade shortage isn't coming. It's been here for a long time. And it's hurting companies like me from scaling to their full potential. And so when you see the culture that we've built, and we are kind of fun too. I don't know if you noticed, but we like to have a little laugh once in a while. And so for me, I've always believed, because I'm I'm not just a pilot project, I, I'm a living success story of you can have a pile of fun, you know, uncensored, respectfully uncensored, 
and, and make lots of money and still change the face of something that needs to be changed. And what about you, Alex? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, like one of the things, like I'll take it from a two-pronged approach, like we'll say sharing the stories that we've created with Nova Scotia Spirit Company, like the day we got the keys for our building, there was a job ad posted on the front door and it said, commercial lobster fisherman from Ballantine's Cove, Antigonish County is seeking a fisherman's helper, must be sober, alert, <laughs> and willing to learn. <laughs> what a bar. <laughs> And I'm really laughing because I'm like, where did this come from? Like, this yeah. is- It's real, man. This is crazy. It's real. Very real. And there's a, there's a gentleman in Ballantine's Cove and he goes around and posts these ads all over the county, right? So people are explaining this to me. And I said, this is Atlantic Canada. This is the story. Like, we've ended up putting that job ad on the back of every bottle and hence- Blue Lobster Vodka, Willing to Learn Gin, and Fisherman's Helper, White Rum, where the brands came from. Mm -hmm. So I think continue to be able to tell those East Coast stories to the world and hoping to provide an opportunity to build the tourism industry here, which is such a driver. Yeah. And second part answer I will say is that, you know, as we continue to grow and get bigger, I want to really take the opportunity to try and do my best to help invest in small businesses here in Nova Scotia or across the Atlantic region. I think there's somehow that we can create a program to work, to work with some of those companies and help them turn their vision into kind of a, at least a minimum viable product that they can go and test and see if the market is interested in it. Totally. No, I think that is uh, is 100% on. So I think, Alex, if you have questions for Mandy, it's like, what's on your mind? Um, and, you know, what is what is she seeing that can be kind of helpful in, in, you know, maybe helping avoid some of the pitfalls of what's to come? For me, I always like to come back to like, you know, what was for you the real aha moment? Like when you went from like working so hard to start something and you realize like, oh, this is actually going to be substantial. Like I've actually made it. The reality was, is that my aha moment was when you get a call from a global company, like this was like almost 20 years ago, right. from a company like The Gap and says like, man, I don't know who the hell this kid is, this girl in Halifax, but we need you here. Yeah. You know, because my thought process was so much different. That was my aha moment of looking and going, I knew that I was outgrowing the Maritimes you know, with the basically the ingenuity of how my mind was working and the absolute opportunity in this non-glamorous business that I'm in. Just by being me and what came out of my mouth and what my hands were doing was really getting a lot of attention. And more so than anything, it was making money. That's great. So like to build on that, I just have like a follow-on question. Yeah. So like in terms of, it's one of those businesses that, like you say, maybe isn't the most glamorous, but it seems like, you know- My business you, or yours? No, no, no. Like, <laughs> the, you know, both in some way. Yeah. In that construction and kind of service maintenance industry, it's like, it's that ingenuity. Like, what did you do differently that set you apart from the competition? Like, because it seems like you've grown so fast and you've brought so many people under your wing who want to be part of this team yeah. that you've built. So like, what was the- what was the differentiator? Like, what was the, it was me. the secret sauce? The secret sauce was the idea that I was in it for more than the money. The idea was, is that I looked at the industry as a whole and how people were approaching me showed me where the voids and the holes were very quickly. And so really what I did was I filled them. I filled them with the ingenuity of what I saw missing out of the, you know, out of the industry. And more so than anything, 
I was able to scale very quickly across Canada because nobody saw anybody putting the heart, the ambition, and the work ethic inside of this industry like I was. And for me, this is just who I was. And so when people saw me doing that, and I'm a pretty happy person, yeah, they followed. You know, because everybody wants to be around that energy. So I guess the only other thing, like last question for you that I'll direct is just like, you know, leaving kind of rural Nova Scotia, I guess, you know, you've explained it was the time for you to grow outside of that region. Like, what is it that you most look forward to coming back? One thing I notice all the time, and I'll kind of answer my own question first, is like when I'm, you know, whether it's in a restaurant or in an airport or when I'm traveling, I'm like, that person's from the East Coast. And like, yeah. you know, my friend will be like, how do you know that? I'm like, oh, I can you just, just tell. Know, man. You just <laughs> know. I can no. just tell. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the, the one thing I can tell you is it's the simpleness of here that's like literally rejuvenates your whole body when I come back here. Like my mom and dad and my family's still here. And, you know, when I'm sitting out on the deck and, you know, you got my dad sitting there and he's got his, you know, Velcro sneakers on and he's like, dear, I just cleaned up all the goose shit down by the lake and having a beer. And he's looking at me and he goes, you know, tell Lauren not to make, uh, you know, pie tonight because, you know, the sugar's giving me acne. <laughs> like the language down here is a language all in its own, you know. And and, and it, you, you got my mother calling me telling me that her chimney's broken. Right. You know, I mean, it's just stuff like that. Or like dad says, you know, older guys, you know, at the gym shouldn't be wearing them Spantex. You know, like, I mean, it's stuff like that that you just sit and you go, you can't pay for this. Like this stuff, this, this shit is real. As Mandy and Alex make clear, leaders are born and made. They both talked a lot about the magic of being from the East Coast. And you can't deny it's got something special. But then they both took a leap outside and away from their homes. Like Mandy said, they both decided to push back against the idea that Canadian businesses can't be at the forefront of innovation or can't be the engines of community growth. Whether it's a shuttered dairy, a dilapidated jail, or one of the hundreds of buildings that Mandy has built or refurbished, they're making creative hubs in each community they touch. This is Earning Curve from Interact and Gimlet Creative with additional production from Transmitter Media. Special thanks for production help on this episode to yet another East Coast entrepreneur, Alex Buchanan at Harbortown Productions in Shelburne, Nova Scotia. I'm Michelle Romano. Thanks for listening. <laughs>